Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back at long last to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. I'm a Georgia Tech grad and a Louisville fan. He is Mike McDaniel. He is a Virginia Tech grad and a Notre Dame fan. Mike, first question. This is still March. How's your bracket doing? Oh, my God. Oh. Blah. Blah. Horrible. <laughs> Horrible. Um, so we went back and forth on Twitter, Joey, and, you know, I had my final four, Arizona, Michigan, Villanova, Michigan State, and your response to me tweeting out my final four national championship picks, your response was probably not. And my response to that was definitely probably not. And it turns out that Arizona lost that day and then Michigan State lost two days later. So here we are. Um, didn't have either one of my national championship game picks. They were both out. And then I still have Villanova at Michigan. That's as far as it went. So my bracket was less than ideal. How was your bracket? Couldn't have been good. I mean, getting two of your final four is pretty good. Uh, Mike, I ask you what bracket. Yeah, okay. Uh, I did not make a bracket this year. I actually protested, and that's a long story related to a, a complete nonsense outcome of my work bracket competition last, last year. I am okay. in protest. First time I haven't made a bracket in like 15 years, but I, I probably picked the right year not to make one because I would it say so. only ended in sadness. I would uh, say so. I would say so. That's fair. I yes. Guess. So uh, as we sit here recording this on the evening, uh, what is it? It's 27th, March 27th. It is a Tuesday. Uh, we are coming up on the final weekend of the NCAA tournament. So we got the final four set. We don't know yet who wins, although it's probably Villanova. Um, Mike, we are coming up. If we, if for basically all the teams in the ACC, if you haven't already started spring practice, you're right about to. Um, it is that time, and we wanted to get together here after you know it's been a few weeks and talk about what to look for in spring practice with each of our teams in the ACC. I figure we go, you know, division by division for you know all two of them. Um, we will start with the coastal, Mike. And um, I, I figure, why not? I'll just start with my team, Georgia Tech. Um, and we'll we'll just say, you know, for each team, what's the biggest thing that we're watching for here in spring practice, biggest thing to look out for? Um, with Georgia Tech, to me, the biggest thing to look out for here, they're swapping defensive coordinators. Uh, Ted Roof is out. Nate Woody is in. And with him, he's bringing a 3-4 scheme. Um, so that changes over from Ted Roof's 4-3 scheme. Um and, and maybe what a lot of Georgia Tech fans will think back to is Al Groh previously ran a 3-4 scheme on the flats. But the thought is that those schemes are not going to look the same as, you know, two different 3-4 schemes. Um, a lot of the reasons that Al Groh's scheme did not work at Georgia Tech are hopefully things that are not issues with Nate Woody as far as um, needing the big old 330-pound defensive tackle and 
you know, all sorts of complicated assignments and shifts and, and audibles and all sorts of stuff. Nate Woody just seems like I'm sending about seven guys on every play, and it's just a matter of which ones. And other than that, we're dropping into coverage. Um, and it's been effective at Appalachian State with lesser talent. Um, so I'm very curious to see what he can do with the athleticism at Georgia Tech. But that's to me, that's the biggest thing is to watch is is what does that defense look like? How does the personnel that is still on the team, how do they fit it? Yeah, so that's Georgia Tech. I mean, they really did need a change on defense. So, I mean, I think that this can only be for the best at this point. Uh, too many times last year, Georgia Tech blew games that they really should have had won. And it was just a combination of of things happening on the defensive side of the ball, primarily in the secondary. We can argue about the pass rush. Um, there were just a number of things going wrong. So I think this this switch from Ted Roof to Nate Woody can only be for the best. Um, let's go to Miami real quick, Joey. Uh, the quarterbacks, right? Uh, is it going to be Malik Rozier? Is it going to be Nikosi Perry? Um, who else? I mean, Jaron Williams, Cade Weldon, maybe. Uh, they, they got four or five guys in the mix there. At quarterback, Malik Rozier is the incumbent starter. Um, in all likelihood, he'll start the season as as you know the QB one there at Miami. But is that the best decision to make at this point in time? Nikosi Perry's now been there a few years. He's got you know not a lot of game experience under his belt at all, but he does have experience in the system at this point. And really, Miami is limited when Malik Rozier, a quarterback. I mean, they have the skill position talent uh, to compete with anybody in the ACC. But when they get in a situation against a team that can stop the run, like Clemson did in the ACC championship game, Miami got exposed. Or, or like Pittsburgh did in the season in the regular season finale. Um, you know, the Hurricanes got exposed when the passing game wasn't hitting. And, you know, Malik Rozier, he's just an inaccurate passer. Uh, it's not even just the downfield passing. It's you know, the short and intermediate passing game was really killing them, uh, really killing the offense as a whole there uh, in the latter half of the season. So Miami finished on the slide that they did, you know, losing their last three games, losing the regular season finale against Pitt, losing the ACC championship in the fashion they did against Clemson, getting blown out of the stadium, and then losing that game to Wisconsin in the Orange Bowl. The reason why they lost those games is because they faced defensive fronts that were able to stop the run and in turn expose a poor passing game. So what will Miami do here this spring? Will it be, you know, status quo, roll with Malik Rozier, know what you got, have that experience here at quarterback, or is it maybe time to turn to a younger guy like Nikosi Perry, who's been in the system, who's young and has higher, much higher upside at the position? That's something that I'll be watching for here throughout the rest of spring practice. I've gone on the record on this podcast of saying that I, I, I think that Miami fans are about to come into contact with one of Mark Rick's kind of fatal flaws as a football coach. Um, is that he's going to have undying loyalty to his guy, whether that's the right option or not. Um, you know, he, he's going he's gonna to start the guy that is the rising senior, even though he's not nearly as talented or, you know, he's, he lacks the ceiling that a, a Nikosi Perry or someone like that might have. Um, and that's something that I think was a little bit of his downfall at Georgia. You know, he was going to stick with his guys rather than playing the necessarily the best player. Um, that's, that's what I think is going to happen. Um, I think that's a problem if it does happen. Uh, I would be surprised if he makes the right call and switches to someone that might give him a little bit better shot to, to win a couple of those games. Although being younger, they may lack a little bit of the consistency. They may lack a little bit of the leadership, but um, certainly the, the, the on-field physical ability and 
uh, and just natural ability for the position, I think would be better if they went to somebody else. But again, Mike, I don't think you're going to get it from Mark Richt. Uh, I, I don't think that's in his DNA as a coach. And I think that's going to be a problem that Miami fans are going to find out about this year. Um, I want to talk about Pittsburgh, Mike. Are you sure? <laughs> are you sure? I, I mean, I, you, there was a little bit of a hesitation there, but I do. Um, Kind of a couple of subplots to watch here at Pittsburgh. Uh, the Panthers also bring in a new defensive coordinator. They bring in Randy Bates, who was the former linebackers coach at Northwestern. Um, we talked about that. It was a bit of an odd hire in that, uh, you know, a position coach from a power five school, you know, it doesn't, it feels like there were maybe better options out there that they could have gone and gotten a, a G5 defensive coordinator or um, even maybe a defensive coordinator from a, a smaller, you know, less successful power five program. But um, so interesting to see how much that affects anything. I mean, at the end of the day, Pat Narduzzi is still the head coach. He was the defensive coordinator under Mark D'Antonio over at Michigan State for several years. So uh, how much Randy Bates is designing the defense versus he's just running D'Antonio's or uh, Narduzzi's system, which also might be D'Antonio's system. I mean, who, who's to say? But um, curious to see that as well as having to rebuild the offensive line. Uh, Brian O'Neill in particular, the left tackle, is a, was a staple of that offense for the last two or three years. Uh, he's gone. Uh, they lose another major starter on the offensive line. So curious to see if they can build on what they had going towards the end of last year, both in the run game and uh, with a little bit of pass protection uh, for, for Kenny Pickett. I, we'll have to see what Pittsburgh's able to do. I'm very curious to see what that all looks like when everything uh, when push comes to shove. Yeah, it's about time to really figure out how much of the blame for the defense can be put on Pat Narduzzi. I mean, now you're switching defensive coordinators. So can you really um, how much can we blame Pat Narduzzi for how bad the Pittsburgh defense has been um, over the course of his tenure there? And if there's no tangible improvement, I think we might finally see Pat Narduzzi on the hot seat there at Pittsburgh. Uh Charlottesville, Virginia, UVA, um, defending the three point line against the 16 seed. I think we could start there, right? Go Retrievers. Go Retrievers. Um, that was actually my tribute. My my team name in trivia last week was more upset than Virginia. <laughs> I love it. Had to slide that in there because that was, as a Hokie, that was beautiful to watch. Um, <laughs> we were talking about this before we hit record, Joey. Uh, UVA's defense replacing Andrew Brown, Micah Kaiser, and Quinn Blanding. So you're replacing a key cog at each layer of the defense. And how does that happen, right? Because now you have an offense in Virginia that um, was up and down throughout all last year, but you were able to rely on a defense that was, you know, really the best unit that they've had there in quite some time. And now you're losing a key cog at each level. And what does the Virginia defense look like now moving forward? Um, you know, with Virginia's offense as stagnant as it has been at times throughout the course of the last few seasons, it'll be really interesting to see how the defense plays now without three of their veteran playmakers, um, both on the defensive line in the linebacking core and in the secondary. Um, I'm really interested to see how Virginia tries to replace those, those contributors. Obviously it's really difficult to replace three all ACC type players, but if you can at least um, have some sort of temporary stop gap until the fall, um, I think that would help. And, you know, Virginia's defense is going to be the storyline heading into next season for their team and, and how well they do. Because, you know, if the defense struggles to find capable replacements for those three guys, I think it's going to be a long season for Virginia just because I'm not sure the offense is going to be nearly 
um, as up to speed as the defense is going to be. And if that defense is useless, I think UVA as a whole will be pretty useless. Mike, do you know when the last time was that somebody other than Micah Kaiser or Quinn Blanding finished in the top two in tackles for Virginia? Uh, four years ago. 2014. Yep. Micah Kaiser finished 15th that year as a true freshman. Uh, Quinn Blanding led the team as a true freshman with 123, and Anthony Harris, a senior, had 108, number two. So it was 2013, the last time that neither of those guys were one of the top two te- uh, top two tacklers on the team. They're both gone. Um, that's your, your leading tacklers for the last three years and pretty much for the last four years are both out. Um, and how Virginia replaces that, I don't know. And like you said, I mean, if – if Virginia's defense can't pick up some slack for for what seems like some offensive struggles that have kind of gone on under Bronco Mendenhall, I they might be a completely useless team. I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what they're going to do. Um, Duke football, Mike. We're the only podcast on the internet talking about Duke football right now because it's, we are we are the basketball conference football podcast. It's basically going out into space because I don't think anybody's going to listen to this next two and a half minutes. Absolutely. And so we'll to, make them, anyway. to make them count, Mike, biggest thing I'm watching for Duke in uh, spring practice, none other than the special teams. Oh, Duke ball. has a combo punter kicker, Austin Parker. Uh, he punts and he kicks and he's pretty good at both. Average 42 yards per punt last year. He was like 17 of 21 on field goals. He only missed two extra points all year. Uh, it's pretty good. I don't know. He's a sophomore. Let's see if he can keep doing it both. Get a combo guy. Get someone who can do both, Mike. Someone who can do both. Someone who can do both, and he's a sophomore, so we probably would have heard this by now. But I just want to confirm, is he related or not related to the podcast number one fan, Andrew Parker? Uh, I have to think he is. Huh. Maybe. I mean, he's going to Duke, right? So he's smart. And only smart, smart. people listen to the basketball conference. That's podcast, right. So. God, what a parallel. Guy. Excellent transition. There we go. Yeah. That's enough talking about Duke. <laughs> um, I mean, we could we could find other things, but maybe we don't have to. Well, here, let, let's talk about my school, Virginia Tech. Um, complete defensive reload. Uh, linebacking core, you're replacing Andrew Matua-Puaka, four-year starter. You're replacing Tremaine Edmonds, who left early for the NFL draft. He's a likely top 15 pick. You're replacing Terrell Edmonds, a starting safety, who's, you know, again, left early, um, likely to be the guy drafted in the top four rounds. Um, you're losing Greg Stroman at corner. You're losing Brandon Faison at the other corner. Uh, you're losing Tim Settle. Uh, interior defense alignment. So how do you replace those guys? Obviously, the Hokies have a lot of different candidates. Um, on the defensive line, they're going to move uh, Vinny Mahota from defensive end to defensive tackle because they have much more depth at the end positions that they do on the interior defensive line. Mahota has cycled in and out of the interior defensive line throughout his time in Blacksburg, so I think it's it was a pretty easy decision for Bud Foster to make. Um, at linebacker, um, you got Dylan Rivers, you got Nathan Proctor, two guys um, whose names we're going to definitely have to watch. Virginia Tech has recruited extremely well at the linebacker position um, over the course of the last three years um, with some of their recruiting classes. So they have a lot of young talent at the position that's going to be worth watching for. Um, in the secondary, Adonis Alexander returns. Of course, you have Devin Hunter, who was a four-star, a high-end four-star recruit the Hokies were able to nab uh, played mostly special teams last year, but did see some time rotating in at safety later in the season. Um, he's likely to push for playing time there. They still have Mook Reynolds um, at whip, but he's basically like a third corner. 
Um, and, and then Reggie Floyd returns at safety. So really the question marks are the depth at defensive tackle because the Hokies still really don't have much. Um, they, they have Ricky Walker still. They do have Vinny Mahota moving inside, but the depth at defensive tackle is a concern, especially for a guy in Vinny Mahota who's fought injuries. Um, he fought injuries in the, in the latter portion of last season. And then question marks at linebacker, because despite all the talent that they brought in that I just mentioned, these guys are still going to be freshmen. They're still going to be really young. So how do they react to their first ACC football action? Um, so it, it'll be really interesting to see what happens this fall. But I think the spring is more of a feeling out process to see uh, what kind of talent that they have at each position. I, I know Bud Foster and, and you know, the, the staff there at Tech, they feel really confident about who they have and who they've brought in. It's just a matter of putting these young guys into practice and and seeing how they fit with the defense as a whole before we get to the fall. I'll tell you, Mike, I think you're a lot more worried about Virginia Tech's defense than I am. Um, I, I'm looking right now at the last 10 years. Virginia Tech has been a top 10 scoring defense the last 10 years under Bud Foster more times than they've been outside the top 30. They've been a top 10 scoring defense in 2008, 2009, 2011, and 2017 last year. There's only been two of those years they were outside of the top 30, and I think one of those years they were 31st. Yeah. Like, I am not concerned about the Hokies' defense moving forward. I think that they're going to be just fine. As you're, you're outlining, they've got plenty of talent. Um, I think it is interesting to watch how they do go about reloading and rebuilding. Um but I, I think ultimately the product is going to be just fine under the, the tutelage of Bud Foster. I think they're going to be just fine. Yeah, yeah. And real quick before we continue, I mean, the, the biggest the biggest question marks, I think, for the team as far as how well are they going to perform this fall are really on the offensive side of the ball because Josh Jackson fought some injury late in the year and really regressed as the year went on. So the question marks are a little bit of quarterback. Obviously, the skill position is replacing the school's all-time leading receiver, Cam Phillips. Um, piecing together uh, a healthy running game, I think is really important. But as far as the sheer numbers and guys that they have to replace, the defense is right up there. I think the defense will be just fine, like you alluded to, because, you know, the um, the history and, um, you know, the track record is there with Bud Foster. Um, I think the defense will be fine. But I think what's what's really important, and you mentioned this, is how are they going to go about replacing those pieces? And, and that's something I'll be watching for, for sure. Good coaching goes a long way in college football, and I think that'll continue to, to ring true here. Uh, moving on, Mike, last team in the Coastal, the North Carolina Tar Heels. Um, Going to be interesting to watch this team getting healthy. Um, that was a thing that really just set the the whole season, you know, derailed the whole thing kind of from the beginning last year was, was health. Uh, so get some pieces back. What does that all look like? And then I'm also curious to watch the quarterback situation. Um We've talked a little bit about how Nathan Elliott seemed to kind of secure that job late in the season, uh, although there's still some speculation that maybe Chaz Surratt could still be the guy moving forward. I'm of the opinion that I think it's Elliott's job to lose. I think that he performed well enough in the last you know three, four games of last year that, uh, that I think he's kind of cemented himself for the time being, but... I mean, you never know. Stranger things have happened. And I mean, what do I know about how, how much Larry Fedora values loyalty and that kind of thing? So it could be anything. Um, that, that's, I think, probably the big things I'm watching here with the Tar Heels in spring practice. Yeah. How does North Carolina value Larry Fedora's loyalty? Um, <laughs> that might be the bigger question. Just um, leave, that, leave that right where it is. Yeah. We're going to leave that there. Um, <laughs> moving on to the Atlantic Division. 
I'm going to tee this up for you because uh, this is your this is your second school. Um, the Louisville Cardinals. I mean, the biggest question for me is is Lamar Jackson a wide receiver at the next level? I mean, that's that's the biggest question coming in spring because I mean it's draft season, Joey. Mike, I don't know if you've watched any of his film from college, but he he displays some really good route running ability. Um, he he catches the ball well in traffic. Uh, he he seems to like he's on the same page with his quarterback on option routes. Lamar Jackson clearly meant to be a, a wide receiver, so I, I I look forward to him doing well at, at the at the wideout position in the NFL. And and, the, and then he got onto the field and won a Heisman Trophy as a quarterback too. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, oh that that part too. Yes, don't forget don't forget about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Really, though, like what does the Louisville offense look like post Lamar Jackson? And I've, I've been on the record here saying this as well as um, the, the guy that's the heir apparent to his uh, throne as the starting quarterback looks to be Jawan Pass. And, and not a knock on Jawan Pass. I mean, Jawan Pass looks like he's a pretty good player. He's pretty talented. I mean, he's athletic. He can throw, blah, 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 blah. If he's a pretty good to really good quarterback, that's still a major step down from generational talent. And Louisville just crawled their way to eight and five with a generational talent at quarterback. So think think about that. I mean, Lamar led the team, obviously, in passing, but he also led the team in rushing, and it was not by a close margin. Um, he was the only good thing they had going on offense. The offensive line did improve through the year. I, that's probably something I didn't give him enough credit on. Um, but I don't know how this team moves the ball without Lamar Jackson at quarterback. Um, it's it's something I, I I guess I should say I'm, I'm waiting to see, but I don't know how excited I am to watch for it. Yeah, um, and then I you know also with Louisville their defense, like we saw the bowl game without Jair Alexander. I mean, not not great. Um, so Louisville, I mean, Louisville still doesn't have a defensive coordinator, right? As far as I know, um, you know, of course, we're in the dog days of March. So if we missed that, sorry. But yeah, we didn't um, we didn't miss it, Mike. Best defense is a good offense, Joey, as you know, which I don't even think they're going to have that. So, Mike, the, the, they named an award after uh, Louisville's new defensive coordinator. Oh, yeah, it right. was the it was the you tried oh, award. Yeah, that's right. That's that's what I have to look forward to. Yeah, uh, yeah. Four and eight. Forgot about that. Um, Four and eight. Not great. <laughs> um, I'm gonna cry myself to sleep. <laughs> I don't even think Bobby Petrino is ready for the Brian Van Gorder experience. He's not. Um, God, I can't believe I forgot about that. Moving on. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, to Clemson, right? Um. I, I want to just caution their fans here because it's just spring football. Um, don't overreact. I think it's a storyline, right? Like, don't start Trevor Lawrence at quarterback if he's not ready. Like, Clemson's going to have the single most talented team in the entire country next year, and Alabama's going to be great too, and they're great every year. They get all the hype, and they got Tua, and all the fans are salivating over that. But then you remember that Clemson's returning like 18 or 19 starters off of last year's playoff team. And it wasn't even Dabo's best team, but it's really scary to think that all that defensive talent we thought was going to go to the NFL is sticking around with another year of experience. And they were already really freaking good. And Mm -hmm. they all stayed. And like Kelly Bryant is good enough. 
like he's he's good enough. Like Alabama exposed him, right? Because Clemson had so many issues trying to run the football. Um, I I wouldn't say it was it was a problem that they didn't have the talent. It was just inconsistency throughout the year. They had a lot of young guys there at the position. Um, but Travis Etienne's back, right? And he showed signs of being really, really good. If Clemson has a really consistent running game, you can open up that passing game for Kelly Bryant. This team's going to be fine. I mean, they can win and they can win a national championship with Kelly Bryant playing quarterback with this defense that they're returning. This is the best defense that they've had since their national championship here uh, a couple of years back. Um, and, and this is just a young group that's continuing to get better. Another year of maturity. Don't overreact and start and start Trevor Lawrence. I mean, if if you need a spark in the passing game later in the year, I get it, but I, I wouldn't start him from day one unless you absolutely have to. As good as he's going to be, and I think he's going to be really good, he's still a true freshman. Like, play the guy with experience with this roster and see how you do. And if you're worried about the passing game later in the year, start mixing Trevor Lawrence in or Hunter Johnson. Don't forget about him. He was a highly rated recruit, too. Oh, yeah, that guy. That guy, yeah. Four star. I think it's important that we we distinguish too. There's a bit of a difference here between the Clemson quarterback situation and the Miami quarterback situation. Yes. yes. Um, Clemson, first of all, we're probably pointing out that we got to watch the quarterback situation because there's literally nothing else to watch. We're going to be watching the same team that just went to a playoff. Yep. Um, there's almost no turnover anywhere on the Clemson team on either side of the ball, which is borderline illegal coming off a playoff appearance. But the, the the big difference here is Clemson's quarterback situation was like – maybe you call it their weakest link, but as weak as that was, Kelly Bryant still tied for 10th nationally in completion percentage among uh, among qualified passers, right? Malik Rozier, 100th in the country among qualified passers. Um, there, there's a difference there. Like Kelly Bryant had kind of one shaky part of his game, and that was – deep balls into tight windows like uh, that that didn't really work out so well Malik Rozier was kind of a a mess to be to begin with top to bottom Uh, and and not to mention that Kelly Bryant gave more in the run game than than Malik Rozier did Um, so it's more about Kelly Bryant becoming a little more complete as a passer versus you know or uh, or do you go to a, a passer that has maybe a little higher ceiling like a guy like a Kelly Johnson or Kelly Bryant wait I'm Hunter Johnson Trevor um, or, or Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. I can't keep these guys straight. Um, or, you know, something like that, uh, rather than Miami kind of neglecting better options for a guy who has shown that he's got some some key flaws as a passer at this level of football, if that's fair. And not nearly the level of running ability that a guy like Kelly Bryant has, which you mentioned. And yeah. that's like that that's the key the key difference is you know Malik Rozier showed an ability to like scramble when he had to and pick up yards like Kelly Bryant running the football was a serious threat I mean see the Virginia Tech game mm-hmm. like he single-handedly won them that game um and mm-hmm. you know Clemson was in control from the start but his ability to run the football completely changed that football game against Virginia Tech and Blacksburg last year mm-hmm. so that's that's what he can do if he's not completing downfield passes into tight windows, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. He can still affect the game other ways, much like Lamar Jackson did before, I, really, really throughout his college career. But even 
you know, before his last couple of years, you know, he won the Heisman two years ago, still put up great stats last year. But when he was a freshman, he was not a great passer and he's still not the best passer in the world. But you saw the jump in his game throwing the football. If we see a similar type jump for Kelly Bryant, not saying Kelly Bryant's Lamar Jackson. If we see a similar type jump in his game, at least throwing the football, this Clemson team's going to be fine. There's no need to rush into the Trevor Lawrence experience. I know he's a shiny new toy, but do not rush him with this team that you're bringing back. Totally agreed. Mike, you talked about the uh, the the importance of running the ball and what that quarterback gives you in that term. Uh, you've really got me in a mood now to talk about Boston College football. Um, the the Eagles offense, that was kind of the, the clear weak point was anything in the passing game. Um, they, they started running the ball really, really well with none other than your boy, the D-Train. Uh, and, and that's clearly something they've got to build on on offense. The defense still seems pretty solid. Um, you know, even in the post-Don Brown era, the Eagles defense holding up pretty pretty decent. The run game's looking pretty decent. Steve Adazio might have something going if he can get literally anything out of his passing game. And therein, you know, lies the question, Mike, is, is what can Boston College give you in the passing game? I, I want to see literally any development from, like, Anthony Brown in this in this realm of, of, of their game. Like, that's, that's all I need. He completed barely 52% of his passes last year. Give me 60%. 60% completion, Boston College is winning like eight or nine games next year. I'll go on record right now saying that. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, so we do we do our podcast prep, Joey, um, as you know, and just so listeners know, even when we forget the name of the Louisville defensive coordinator, even though we have a show award named after him, um, we, we do show prep here. So what I have written down for Boston College is a spring storyline is don't throw it right because they can't throw it they haven't shown an ability to throw it if they get literally anything out of anthony brown this is an eight or nine win team defensively they're they're bringing back a ton of talent on the defense they are they do need to replace harold landry who's going to be a first round pick but overall boston college is returning a ton on that side of the football and if they get literally anything out of the passing game aj Dillon, when i assuming he stays healthy 1589 yards last year 14 touchdowns um, averaging over five yards a carry, 5.3 yards per carry to be exact. I mean, look, Scott Leffler found something with A.J. Dillon. Give him the ball 20 or 25 times a game and see where it takes you. And if you get literally anything out of the passing game, like you mentioned, Joey, this is an eight or nine win team. A.J. Dillon makes Scott Leffler look good. Put that in, put that in your pipe yeah. and smoke it. Yeah. Think about that, Virginia Tech fans. Yeah. Uh, Mike, I'm curious to see who Willie Taggart makes look good. I'm very curious. What quarterbacks are going to be? I, I'm very curious about that, too. I, I don't know. Um, Willie Taggart taking over at Florida State, bringing an, an offense with him that has kind of taken different forms in his last couple stops between Western Kentucky and South Florida and Oregon. Um, I, I will say that if I'm a Florida State fan, I'm very comforted by the fact that he has succeeded with different styles of quarterbacks between those stops, and he has molded his offense to fit the talent in those places. Um, the offense he was running at USF with Quentin Flowers is not the same that he was running with uh, Oregon and Justin Herbert, right? Guys with different skill sets, different uh, abilities. 
and, and he ran them differently. And that's that's a very encouraging sign if I'm bringing in a new guy that's going to run his his scheme or his system is he's going to let it kind of adjust to what his players can do. Uh, and, and that's what I'm curious to see is what is he going to do with DeAndre Francois, James Blackman, uh, and the rest of the guys there on the depth chart. Uh, we were talking before we came on here of whether DeAndre Francois gets his starting job back, assuming he's healthy again, um, or does it stay with James Blackman? And, and I think we probably agree that it's probably DeAndre Francois. Um, I don't know that there's any one thing I could point to that James Blackman does better than him other than being tall. Um, so I, you know, I, I expect they stick with Francois, but as far as what that looks like as an on-field product, I'm, I'm still very curious to find out. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with that. The only reason why I think in my opinion is that it's even a question is because Francois is coming off of a pretty catastrophic leg injury and it is Willie Tiger coming in as a first year coach. So he doesn't have to answer really to anybody in year one. Um, NC state. Uh, what are they going to do on offense outside of Ryan Finley? Like we know what Ryan Finley can bring to the table at quarterback. He's been really good for them. He's a big reason why they've had the success that they've had. What do they do outside of him? No Naheem Hines. Uh, more importantly, no Jalen Samuels, one of the most dynamic players in all of, in all the ACC and really throughout college football. Like what do they do now outside of Finley? I'm trying to remember. Do they get Reggie Gillespie back? Or did he go to the NFL draft too? Maybe I can't even remember. Well, you know what? That's what Google's for, and I can look that up real quick as you continue. <laughs> this is this is good podcasting. He's back. He's back. Okay. All right. Oh, so did. you got a running back. What else? Uh, technically, top two receivers are back. Jalen Samuels is the third leading receiver. Um, Kelvin Harmon and Jacoby Myers are back. I if I remember correctly. So they got something, but it is still a bit of a rebuild effort with with no Samuels, with no Naeem Hines. Um, Ryan Finley coming back for what I think is like his ninth year of eligibility, if I remember correctly. Yeah. No Bradley Chubb on defense. Yeah. Got to work on that too. Um, defense is defense lost some pieces after last year. Um, several of their top tacklers, I believe it's, uh, like seven of their top nine tacklers or something are gone. Yeah. That might be the bigger question to be honest. (laughs) That might be the bigger question. Yeah. Show prep is all, you know, the word prep in the context of show prep is all relative. Um, we work too, all right? <laughs> yeah. We're, we're doing a, an ACC football podcast in March. Give us a break. Yeah. But- uh, uh, yeah, it, it's it's a fair question, Mike, of what is what does the defense look like, right? A lot of seniors that they got to replace. Um, I, I, I am curious to see, like, we, we talked about 2017 is the year that North Carolina State could really, you know, make the leap and, and become – one of those top three teams in the Atlantic, you know, jump Louisville or something like that. And they ended up jumping Florida state as well as Florida state had a down year. And they were the second best team in the Atlantic. I don't know if they can follow it up. I am legitimately curious. And, and I, I don't know if I'm buying it quite yet unless basically the entire division has a down year. Yeah. Uh, completely fair. And so now I'm, I'm looking a little bit further down the list here. Um, the Syracuse orange, four and eight again last year um the health of eric dungy is at the forefront he's limited throughout spring so we'll see what he can and can't do here throughout spring practice uh, do they make any sort of tangible improvement um four and eight two years ago four and eight last year you know we talked about how much we like that dino babers hire but uh you know so far he's got eight wins in two seasons so 
do they make any sort of leap in 2018? That that's the real question. But as far as you know, camp is concerned, it's really just improving the playmakers on the Syracuse defense. I mean, the defense has been the clear Achilles heel for them, uh, really for uh, the last five years or so. But especially since Dino Babers has arrived, because the offense has gotten a lot better. But now without Zach Mahoney, right, as the backup, and you have Eric Donji and he's limited, like if he gets hurt again, they're in a world of trouble. They don't have that experience backup anymore. And really what we saw with Zach Mahoney is that, you know, he, he was an okay quarterback, but the issue, of course, that, that Syracuse ran into is that he wasn't Eric Dungy. And the offense really, in all honesty, completely fell apart when Dungy wasn't in the game. So can they develop a capable backup here throughout spring camp? And can that guy step in and and be a difference maker? Because we know one thing is for certain. It's that Eric Dungy is not going to be healthy for the entire season. I don't know how many games he's going to play, but the one thing he's proven is that he can't stay on the field. So if he doesn't stay on the field, do the orange completely fall apart? And how does that affect, Dino Babers and his job security? Not in year three, but maybe in year four, does he enter that year on the hot seat? If the orange struggle again, I I think he definitely does. I think so. One of the things that I think that Syracuse has got to get figured out is how much Eric Dungy is being leaned on for the running game. I mean, he was the team's leading rusher and leading carrier last year. Um, I that That's not how this is meant to go. If you look at Dino Babers, I mean, his whole system comes off of the, uh, man, I can't even remember, the Art Bryles tree. So was he was coaching at Baylor for several years as he took them from like a three or four win program to several nine to 11 win seasons. I mean, he won a Heisman for Robert Griffin, the third, the whole thing. And through all of it never was, was the the starting quarterback anywhere near the lead in terms of carries, you know, for the team. So it, at some point it makes sense that Eric Dungy's wearing down. If he's being relied on as such a heavy part of the run game, um, that's what I think that maybe Syracuse might be missing. So if they can come up with some sort of running back threat in the offense, some guy that can go out there and carry the ball 200, 250 times in a year, maybe that changes their fortunes a little bit, keeps Eric Dungy on the field, turns into an extra win or two. I don't know. I mean, Dino Babers, that system at Syracuse, I mean, it all felt like a great hire. We have not yet seen, you know, big-time results. And, and I'm rooting for him because I, I want that to work. I, th- I think that was a great hire, but uh, we're, we've yet to see anything that really indicates that it des- definitely will be. Well, well, they get, I mean, they certainly got the shot in the arm on offense when they hired Babers. And now it's a matter of can they continue to have offensive success without Eric Dungy in the lineup full time? And, you know, we're all hoping that he stays healthy, but we know that he hasn't, right? So, it's easy for us to sit here and say, oh, well, you know, just get the backup ready and then hope he's the same type of quarterback as Eric Dungy. I mean, Eric Dungy is really good. I mean, he's a really, really good football player. But like you mentioned, he does carry the ball a bit. Maybe they can take some pressure off of him in the running game if they develop um, develop some of their running backs and get more production out of them. Maybe then, you know, you have a slight frame to Eric Dungy not getting hit quite as much. And maybe that helps and that will keep him on the field. And in turn, that really helps Syracuse offense. But I think really establishing a running game, I think that's a great point. And then having some sort of development on the defensive side of the football, you know, being able to hold teams under 40 points would be huge for the offense because then the pressure is not on them to go out and score 40 or 50 points every game and, and win in the shootout. 
Last one, Mike. Steam and Deeks. Your Steam and Deeks. My Steam and Deeks. We got to talk about, first of all, a post Walfordian offense. Um, I'm assuming that's a term. Um, it is now. John Walford, uh, the, 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 uh, renaissance man of 2017 who just like totally reinvented himself from the previous years the wolford wagon the wolford wagon yeah dragged wake forest to a pretty solid finish in, in 2017 he is no longer he is gone uh, and to replace him the the obvious answer seems to be kendall hinton um he is less of a passer than wolford was maybe a little bit better of a runner um, but how well he fits in that Dave Clawson offense, we will have to see. Um, also, curious, I, I haven't seen any updates, but I hope that they get Greg Dorch back soon. He was a baller, man. I want to see him come out on, on the field and, and see what he can do some more. He was a fun player to watch. Yeah, Dorch can play a little bit. They need to replace John Walford. I mean, he made the offense go. Um, the, the situation with Wake Forest and Syracuse is so similar, but you know, with, with Wake Forest, they had a much better defense than Syracuse does. I mean, those offenses are very, very similar. Um, you know, high-powered, high-tempo, score a lot of points, uh, which is crazy to say about Wake Forest, but that's what they were last year with John Wolford. They score a ton of points, and they played great defense. Syracuse doesn't play great defense. They try to score a lot of points. It's a, it's a four-man's Wake Forest there at Syracuse, so like you mentioned with Wake Forest, it's can they get the same offensive production out of Kendall Hinton if he you know, moves in as the starting quarterback, which we assume that he will, and whether or not um, you know, that'll, be, that'll be enough with the defense that they bring back you know, kind of remains to be seen. But you know, can they keep up the same level of play with Kendall Hinton in the lineup instead of John Wolford? Because you know, a couple of years ago, we wouldn't be having this crazy conversation about, oh, how's Wake Forest going to replace John Wolford? But he played so well the last two seasons, and last year in particular, he made the huge jump. That now it's a real, a real tangible question, and one of the ones that we'll be watching here uh, throughout the spring to see whether or not Kendall Hinton is indeed the guy, and whether or not they can carry some momentum out of spring camp into the fall. I just have a bad feeling. I mean, if you think back to 2016, Mike, the Deeks were led by their defense, was 23rd nationally in scoring scoring defense in terms of points per game. 2017, Mike Elko leaves for Notre Dame. Next thing you know, Deeks, 76th nationally points per game. So they, they very quickly turned from winning, you know, by, by low scoring games to winning in shootouts. Um, can they keep that up without John Walford? We'll have to see. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it, it seems like a bit of a dangerous, you know, very quick course correction for, for Wake Forest there. Yep. Yep. Agreed. Michael, we haven't talked in a while. How's everything been going? What you been up to? Uh, what have I been up to? A lot of work travel. Mm. A lot of work travel. Traveled for some leisure. Went down, played some golf with some buddies in Wilmington a couple weekends ago. Had a couple buddies in particular. Had a, a very good time. They spent eight grand in a local strip club. Gentlemen's um, establishment. As gentlemen's, it were. Yes, I'm sorry. Uh, gen- <laughs> gentlemen's club. Excuse me. Um. $8,000 they spent. So, um, what? Very, very happy that, uh, very happy that I didn't attend that portion of the activities. A uh, couple, but couple, you know, myself and a couple of my other buddies picked them up from said establishment both evenings. And I'll tell you what, $8,000 is a lot of money to spend in two <laughs> nights on a non bachelor party weekend. So, 
Oh, no. A little extracurricular activity. I figured a lot of people would get a kick out of that because it's a lot of money. Oh, no. A lot of money for anybody. Good Lord. Eight grand. Eight grand. That is that is a lot of money. It's wild. It's wild. I mean, man, that's. I would. I would be bottle service, and then of course, you know, interacting with, you know, women. Yes, that's Uh, ladies. What you do around those parts, you know. I if I get real bored here over the next couple of weeks, Mike, I'm going to see how much money I could have won. If I had an eight thousand dollar bankroll on my ACC picks of the week last year, which I think I p- finished it like two games over five hundred, so I might have like lost a little bit of that. But gosh, eight thousand dollars goes a long way. It goes a long way. That yeah. is absurd. It funds a lot of different things. Well, I, I think we talked last time. I, I had my bachelor party, not mine, but I, I went to one in Chicago uh here a couple of weeks ago that was a lot of fun we ate at portillo's uh we ate at fogo de chow we uh we saw an incro- improv comedy show that was super fun we went to several breweries we had a lot of fun um there was a we stayed like right next to wrigley field there in kind of the wrigleyville neighborhood the first night we get in probably about seven o'clock um you know me and two other guys flew up there together we were all co-workers one of them is the the bachelor and um We'd have maybe, I don't know, a couple of beers on the plane, one in the airport, whatever. But we get there. We're mostly good to go. And I think within an hour, The Bachelor had taken like, I think it was like literally seven shots of Jack Daniels in an hour. Um, we go to this bar that's like right off, you know, you, you walk out of the bar and there's like the, the outside of the center field of Wrigley Field. Like you're just right there across the street from Wrigley. Um, we were there for maybe an hour and a half and got thrown out, got thrown out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he had, uh, uh, you know, tossed his cookies, we'll say, and, um, uh, def, you know, defamed the bathroom. We'll go with, um, it was a disaster, um, in the best bachelor party kind of way. Um, so it was a, uh, it was a good time. Nice. Very good. Very good. Plus Um, Chicago is muddy. I mean, that whole area is real nice. It is. It was fantastic. Um, aside from the whole, like, second week in a March thing. Right. Um, a little cold. Uh, apparently, it was scheduled to be on St. Patrick's Day weekend, which I regretted to inform the folks was not the weekend of the 10th, but the weekend of the 17th. Yes. That was the weekend I was in Wilmington. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So, I, you know, as, as is tradition, it was scheduled for a weekend it was not intended to be. But, hey, you live and you learn. Uh, yeah, other than that, being just staying busy with work and uh, traveling, having friends coming to town here in Houston, we got the rodeo all through March. Uh, so we've had a couple of uh, in-towners for that and uh, just, you know, staying very busy. It's, it's, been a, it's been a lot and it's, you know, tiring and all that. No sleep for the weary, I guess. No That's rest right. for the weary. What's the no rest for the weary? But hey, no sleep for the weary either. And we're mm-hmm. almost in April now. We are. We are almost to April. We're uh, we're coming up on some spring games. I, we'll have to see if that provides us with any sort of uh, discussable content. I don't. That's not a word, but I, I'm running out of words at this point. It's kind of late. Um, I don't know, Mike. What else you got? Anything? That's it for me. That's about we're it. That's there. We're nearing the halfway point of the off season, sorta. Sorta. Absolutely. We got yeah, a month or so, I guess, before we technically hit that. But you know, we're getting there. Yeah, yeah. Hey, dilly dilly. Dilly dilly. Um, 
yeah, Mike, I think that's about all I got. Um, we will uh, try to keep the folks, you know, entertained through the offseason. If y'all have, by the way, if you have questions, anything that you want to hear us discuss, ACC football related or otherwise, if you want to hear more about my bracket nonsense or more about Mike's trip to Wilmington, you know, that, that might be a little bit censored to some degree. But um, if you want to hear about vacations we're taking or foods that we like or whatever, I don't care. Uh, send it all to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. I just, yeah, I just kind of fell into this, this outro thing. Um, y'all can find us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel CFB. And together we're at BC Podcast ACC. Uh, y'all can find us on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, the Overcast app, and wherever fine podcasts are sold for free, uh, except for like Stitcher, there's a couple of places, I don't know. But uh, Mike, where else can they find us on the social medias? Facebook.com slash basketball conference, rate, review, find all of our podcasts there, rate us on iTunes, rate us on Google Play, drop us reviews, send us emails. Joey's covered it. I- yeah, please do. Please do. Please I, do. I got a couple of coworkers that have found out I do a podcast and they might have subscribed. So, if, hey, if you're listening, uh, coworkers of mine, please go rate us on iTunes. I would very much appreciate that. Rate, ratings um, help us. That's how we improve. And that would be great. They sure Plus, do. We hate Miami, too. So let's yeah, that out of the way. And like Duke fans don't listen to this. So we don't really <laughs> care that much about Duke, but we try. So. All, all cards on the table here. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're all that honesty. Yeah. Um, Mike, that's all I got. We'll come back and do it again soon. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll t- find something to talk about. Uh, but please send us topics if you want to hear us talk about them. We are we are more than happy to entertain your ideas. But uh, thank you guys for listening. This has been a lot of fun, kind of talking about some upcoming spring football. We will be back, and uh, in the meantime, you guys can go find us in all those places. Please do that. Uh, But until next time, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. And until then, go ACC.